and welcome to Business Spotlights with Jack and Jeff, airing every Tuesday at noon here on Sarasota News Radio, 1320 and 1450 AM and 103.9 FM. You can also listen right now via the iHeartRadio app or stream us at sarasotanewsradio.com. Jack Cox is the owner of Half Acre Construction and Jeff Charlotte owns J.E. Charlotte Construction. They're both here every week to share local business news, speak with other business leaders in our community, and discuss the issues that affect local business. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Here are your hosts of Business Spotlights, Jack Cox and Jeff Charlotte. Good afternoon. Uh, welcome back to Business Spotlights with Jack and Jeff. I'm Jeff Charlotte, and I'm with my co-host Jack Cox. Our show today is going to provide an update on the Sarasota County School District. As everybody knows, back in March, the district uh, appointed a new leader, Superintendent Dr. Todd Bowden, who took over the helm after uh, Lori White retired. Uh, during our first segment, we're going to visit with Dr. Laura Kingsley, who is Assistant Superintendent and Chief Academic Officer for the district. In our second segment, we're going to visit with Sarasota County School District Teacher of the Year, B.J. Ivey of Riverview High School. Great. Thanks, Jeff. First of all, I'd like to thank you, thank you again for getting dressed up for a radio program. You've got your, your hair Second done. Second week in a row. Exactly. Exactly. You look fantastic. And thank you, Dr. Kingsley, for coming on the air. Uh, just a little bit about Laura. She, in 1988, she, taught, she was a teacher at Booker Elementary. 1995, she worked her way up to assistant principal at Booker or at uh, Emma Book Elementary and Laura Nakomis Elementary, led a task force to close the gap of achievement, uh, named executive director of elementary education in 2015, 2017. She uh, was named assistant superintendent, chief academic officer. So you, maybe you can tell us what that is. Ah, my new role. Yes. Um, so our new superintendent, Dr. Todd Bowden, he uh, wanted to realign the support going to schools. And so he decided that we really did need uh, someone who would take the helm of curriculum and instruction and academics. And for some reason, he appointed me. We're glad to have you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> maybe you could tell us it's timely um, to talk about our, our school grades. I think, I think those are coming out maybe in July. And yes. I, I know last year we were... Very close, um, tenths of a point from dropping to a, a B uh, education program. Maybe, maybe you can just tell us a little bit what A and B, what, is, what does that mean? I have older brothers that are listening to the show, and they're like at a third grade level right now. So we need to <laughs> kind, of, kind of break it down for them. Oh, uh, a little sibling rivalry going on. <laughs> well, all right. So in the state of Florida, they award a letter grade based on points. And when you accumulate a certain number of points um, due to your FSA scores and uh, acceleration, then you um, can be an A with a certain number of points and mm-hmm. and so on going down the line. So uh, is that a testing that, that goes through K through 12? Uh, FSA, Florida mm-hmm. Standards Assessment, is an assessment that's given beginning in grade three. Okay. In reading, English language arts, and in math, and it's given up through grade 10. And so they, the children take those two assessments, and not to complicate things further, but they also determine you get points if a child made learning gains, um, besides what's reported in the paper, uh, proficiency. So we want children, of course, to be proficient, but we also want them to make a year's growth each year. And this assessment allows us to determine that. So what happens if you have a, a school that's, I guess, K through 10? Well, it wouldn't be K through 10, but maybe K through the middle school or that, that becomes failing. Is that something that you work through with the, the principal of, uh, through this? Well, we are really lucky enough in, in Sarasota not to have that. Um, we, the lowest grades that a few of our schools have gotten, uh, was a C. Great. So we are really thrilled, um, by the high achievement. And, you know, I, I'm sure I'll get a chance later in the show to mention this, but I want to tell you it's, it's really because we live in such a great community and we have, of course, our teachers are incredible. And they get the support they need, 
by our community. So, you know, we have foundation support. We have um, active community members that all go together, uh, which is why I feel pretty certain that Sarasota is the A district that it is. So when you, when you talk about support in the business community, um, would that be the community foundation or the education foundation? We have several foundations that support us. Um, the Barance, Charles and Marjorie Baransic Foundation is on my mind because they just allowed us to um, continue supporting our teachers this summer. But last year they awarded a $619,000 grant for professional development. They really wanted to invest in our teachers. Um, they and the Gulf Coast Community Foundation have supported our reading recovery program. We have the Patterson Foundation and the Community Foundation that have worked together to um, help us with our campaign for grade level reading and um, and other things sure. that I could go into detail with if you would like. Um, the Education Foundation, they are going to be really focused on career and college ready next year. Um, so that and we have donors that are are private donors that um, have supported us also. You know, we have the Keith, Keith and Linda Monda, the couple who do so much for this community at the Ringling right. and um, with the um, campaign against summer hunger. They also supported every second grader in our, in our schools to get life-saving water safety. Um, so we just have a very generous community that believes in education, which they should, all communities should, but our community doesn't just believe in it. They also put their, their funds behind it. So we have a jewel in this community, uh, Pineview, of course, and it's, uh, ranked number one in the state, U.S. News and maybe 12 or 13 in the United States, which is incredible. Are there people that are moving to Sarasota to send their kids to uh, Pineview? Absolutely. We get interest in Pineview from not just all over the country. There have even been, there's been interest from globally, um, folks who really want the best for their children. And they feel like they have children who need acceleration at the level that Pineview does. And they seek out um, Pineview. So absolutely. That's great. Yeah. Laura, I, this is Jeff. Hey, um, I just want to compliment you. have 30 years in the district. Uh, you also have four children that went through mm-hmm. the school district. And I have three daughters that went through the school district here. And Jack has two right now. And I don't think there's a better person prepared for the position that Todd has you in right now. And I, I really wanted to focus on, I did a lot of research. I read the article when it came out back in May on the reading recovery program. You know, I, I deal with BJ at the high school level, but I've talked to a lot of teachers who are at the English program at the ninth grade level, and they're getting so many students that are fourth and fifth grade level that they just don't have the ability to elevate them. And I really, this reading recovery program that you guys are doing through the, the grant that uh, the Monda started from Ohio State, by the way, Jack, yep. that's somebody that, you know. <laughs> By the way, we're going to tease a program, and uh, on July 14th, we'll have uh, Veronica Brady from the Gulf Coast Community Foundation and Keith coming in with uh, Bridget Ziegler to talk about exclusively this program, because I I know with your background in elementary education, and BJ's got a wife, Samantha, teaching at fifth grade at, at Lakeview, where my kids went to school, the bottom line is if you don't have reading and writing skills, I mean, math is one thing, but if you don't have reading and writing and you don't have that emotional intelligence, you just can't survive. So I'd like you to just talk about, I read this article. I mean, we're now a year into the program, I think. My understanding now, it's not just at our uh, our, our achievement gap schools, but it's at every school now through the, through the foundations that have supported it. And I think it's the Gulf Coast Community Foundation and the Baranchik Foundation. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the success that you're having with it right now. Okay. Well, Reading Recovery is a program that is 30 years old, as long as I've been in education, and I've heard about it 
uh, across those 30 years. So I've kind of followed it. I almost went to Ohio State myself just to be part of it, actually. <laughs> I never told the Mondas and Veronica that. Um, so Reading Recovery is a program that these teachers are so highly trained. I mean, picture this. Every Friday for four hours, they are sitting in a pseudo classroom in one of the media centers and listening to an Ohio State professor who was the Mari Clay uh, chair at Ohio State in Reading Recovery, who serendipitously retired in Sarasota. So we got the benefit of, of finding her, Veronica, thanks to Veronica, we found her. Um, she and our teacher leader, who was highly, highly trained, went back and forth to Ohio State last year uh, probably six times um, for long weeks of this training. Is Lisa, is Lisa, Lisa Fisher, Fisher our, our teacher leader. Um, that They have provided for our teachers this intensive training, four hours every week, to learn to be what I call diagnosticians. It would be similar to you going to your general practitioner and complaining about an ailment, and what's the first thing they do? They send you to the specialist. So what Reading Recovery does for our schools is very similar to that whole concept. When a child struggles, um, the classroom teacher can know that there is a specialist who's going to be working with them. So the, the reading recovery teachers identify the lowest performing first graders. So think about that. A lot of children in kindergarten, they start breaking the code to reading early. They go into first grade ready to really read, start to read sentences, not just words. But many of them have not broken the code. You know, they, they are still struggling to identify letters. And so what Reading Recovery does is they take that lowest 20%, and those teachers work with those children for 30 minutes, four days a week, until they're trained. The second year, they'll be working with children five days a week for 30 minutes. And in those sessions, they sit beside the child, and they listen to what the child's doing, they take detailed notes, lots of data on this child, and they know enough about what that child, um, what issues that child is having with decoding words that they can immediately support that difference. Classroom teachers don't have the luxury of being able to sit for 30 minutes a day with every child in their classroom. So um, these teachers um, have that luxury of time. They have the benefit of being highly trained. And the result is that children break the code, which is one goal of reading recovery, or they're identified early as needing some additional services. And that is the other beauty of reading recovery. No longer are we waiting till the end of second grade or third grade to say this child really needs to be pulled for additional intensive services through our exceptional education program. Now we can identify those children early in first grade. And, you know, the earlier we support kids, the more chances we are of getting them to Learn to read so that in third grade they can start reading so, to so, learn. So then and 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 people are gonna want to know the the measurement, you know, what 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 are we gaining at third grade? I'm hearing that there's a seventy percent success rate with this program or higher than that, I think. And and so at third grade they're back on level with this program is what I'm hearing. Yeah, that you know there could be a little fade out issue if we don't bring them back into classrooms where teachers really can continue to support because when you think they were the lowest performers and when the reading recovery teacher is finished and those children successfully discontinue they are now average with their class. And so to keep that momentum we need to keep them supported through reading. 
So, you know, that's the other benefit of our reading recovery teachers. They're working one-on-one with those children in the morning. In the afternoon, they're working. Last year, we had three teachers who worked with 250 kids in the afternoon. Um, So, you know, there's that benefit. But they also provided professional development for their colleagues. So kindergarten, first and second grade teachers started to learn these strategies that help keep these children on that trajectory to success in breaking the code in reading. So that that was another I'm glad you segued into that, because my question is, can we get all of our teachers at that level to have that skill set to be able to to augment the reading recovery program? Or is it something so special that only Lisa Fisher and a handful of other people have that skill? Is it that? I mean, how do we maintain the program both from an education point of view and having the skill to financially supporting it? Is it something that once it takes off and we develop the skill set, we don't need to have this massive amount of money each year to go to the program? Or does a specialty teacher required and cost that much that it, we have to continue raising the money for that. That was a question that I was wondering is how do we sustain yep. the program with the results that you're having? Well, the sustainability is always a question we try to answer before we apply for any grant funding because I know how foundations think. They want to begin something and then they want the school system to be able to sustain it. So what we'll have next year, thanks to um, both foundations, um, we'll have 35 highly trained reading recovery slash literacy experts. That training is so intensive, um, so it's probably not realistic to train. Well, I know it's not realistic to train every teacher in the district, but there are so many strategies that can be shared and will be will be shared. Um, Dr. McGee, the Ohio State professor, she and Lisa have created modules for professional development that are will be uh, shared with those teachers. And not only that, they'll be shared with parents because parents are always asking. What can know, we do to reinforce it at home? Yeah, correct. That's a great concept. I, I, uh, you know, there's a lot of success stories in the school district, but to me, Having the basics of reading, just it just transcends everything in life. Yeah, I mean, you can survive without the basic math skills, but at the end of the day, not having a reading skill set. And I just I want to applaud the district and, and your leadership in this. Um, like I said, we're going to have uh, a little more of a topic discussion on this with the foundation uh, and and Keith Monda, who actually was spearheaded the the donor group on this. So. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited about talking about it in a few weeks. Yep, great. Me too. And I just want to also add to what you said, um, because not only are we focused on reading recovery, but we also have a focus in all of our support staff that every teacher is a literacy teacher, because you're absolutely right. We need literacy in every subject. So that'll be fun. We're going to be sharing that uh, through the course of next year. And I'm going to challenge you on the math comment. Okay, that's good. I I put it out there. I was hoping you would take it. All right, because um, that's, um, I mentioned um, the the Charles and Marjorie Brancic Foundation first, because that's something I've been working on with them. And that is getting professional development for our elementary school teachers in mathematics you know, there's that sentiment. Sometimes you've probably heard it from people. I hate math. I'm not good at math. Well, I had three daughters, so that was always the subject matter in our household. Oh, <laughs> no. Stop. <laughs> no, they were excellent. They were oh. doing fine. But at the end of the day, math in our household was a struggle. Well, yeah. we're hoping to break that <laughs> habit, too, because we're training our math um, elementary math teachers and moving up now. That was my conversation with the Brancic Foundation yesterday. Moving up into middle school and thinking about how to better support our children in math, how to give them the skills to go deep into math concepts by using manipulatives and understanding concepts before we start teaching them you know, the formula for long division or any other algorithm. It's funny. Michelle Osan, who was a teacher at uh, Wilkinson, my oldest, Christina, had her. And she had that 
she was using tactile. She was doing other things to help Christina grasp the math concept in second grade. Yay. And that was back in, my goodness, that was back in 98, 99, 2000 time frame. So, yep. and, Well, we're making it pervasive. This is a system-wide focus now on how to support our, our children better in math, how to let our kids, and this is a hard concept for parents too, how to let our kids productively struggle when they're learning something. The productive is the key word there. Well, they don't shut down and just go on to right. the next thing they have success with. And, and it's nice on the, to struggle as long as you're making progress. Yes. And on the other hand, not enabling them. You know, right. we have a tendency to, here, honey, here's the right, right answer. Teachers do. They're right. such nice, kind, wonderful people. They want to help, help, help. Well, some kind of help is the kind of help we can all do without. I think that's a Shell Silverstone you touched earlier when, when Jack was talking with you, I just wanted to, you know, Todd wasn't able to make it here today, but I, one of the things I know that he has an initiative on and Jack and I are both construction people and, um, you know, PGT, one of our largest employers in town, uh, we are struggling with workforce mm-hmm. people and these are great paying jobs. And I would like to see us at some point recognize that, not everybody is college bound and that we find a way to get them into a vocational trade as well as having the basic skills of reading, writing, and, and, and math. Um, and it seems like Todd has that initiative. I'm just curious if I know it's not probably under your, your role as the academic. It is good. <laughs> Let's talk about it a little bit. Cause I, I, I've, I've talked to Ron DePillo and, and, and obviously Jack and I are heavily involved at the Gulf coast builders exchange. So we are trying to make sure that kids get into the trades to fill these jobs. And they're great careers, by the way. I mean, they are. They are. And I'm married to an electrical contractor. That's so I hear it every day. You know, my gosh. We have gosh, to get his name and number because Jack and I could probably <laughs> no, use his services. He's into July with his work. But I will tell you, Todd is a dream come true because he he is really focusing us on, you know, yes, we want children to be ready to go to college. But we want children ready to have a productive career and careers in industry, construction. You know, I was listening to Mr. Huey, Huey at um, Mark Huey. Mark Huey. Yeah, that's that's like, you know, one of the booming areas if you want to have a good career. Right. So um, Todd is a dream come true. He is really keeping our a vision on making sure that our kids are having a plan, you know, experiencing different careers in middle school and understanding jobs and vocabulary and jobs in elementary school. Um, so watch out. That's coming. It's, you know, we recently, we did this uh, for the first year, the village exchange and the two uh, technical colleges, Manatee and Suncoast. We did this thing called the Construction Rodeo where we had 400 high school students come to Manatee Technical College and they met with the people that are in the trades and general contractors like our company. And I was they were really engaging. They were they were asking great questions. I, I think the model for nursing is really paying dividends to the hospitals in the area. And if we could just do that same level of success at electrical and plumbing and HVAC and carpentry, um, I think we'll go a long way in helping fill the needs of some of our major employers that are, that are doing great things. As you know, one of Jack and our mission for what this radio show is about is to spotlight what good business is doing in our community. And every foundation behind that is a donor that's a business leader or Absolutely. somebody that's in our community doing good things. So if we can fill the needs that they have, then they share more success and can kind of share that with the community. So well, is our state funding tied to um, college going on or students going on to college or is it just a graduate? Is it a graduation rate? Um, well, state funding is not really tied to either. Okay. Um, the grade, district grade mm-hmm. and our school grades are tied to um, graduation rate. That's one of the components that makes up um, those points that we talked about earlier. But state funding, to my knowledge, is not tied to that. I just want to make sure we're not penalizing ourselves by 
you know, in, in my opinion, they should go through a lot of kids should just go through the trade schools. They start off as electricians, plumbers, HVAC contractors. And I just didn't know if we were being penalized in our grades, if kids actually didn't go on to college and maybe we would not be encouraging trade schools because of that. that's a good question. Cause Ron DePillo runs the, the Suncoast Polytech and they're tied in with Suncoast technical college, which used to be Votech. So, cause I asked the same question to him. Are we, are we losing the peak of dollars if, if, if a student goes to the technical college or Polytech and it's not, it's just a different career path. And, you know, I think, and we, we get to talking to BJ later, he's taught PBD at the high school level, which is performance-based diploma. And I, I know there's kids that have been in that, that curriculum that I, I think we could get them into the technical college probably. And it would be more to what their skill set is. So anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm really thankful that, that there's, when we grew up, I'm a Venice high graduate in 1979. We had shop, we had two shops, metal and wood. And those were skills that Jack and I and our eight, we learned those skills. So um, I just, I'm not saying that we should have shop back in the high schools because I think these technical colleges that we have are really great. It's just, can we do a better job of identifying the the students that fit that 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 better? And that's what I was hoping we could do. So well, one of the things that the Boys and Girls Club did last year is they started a young careers program. They had a facility that they weren't using on site there on Fruitville Road. And companies like Sterling Manufacturing, PGT, Bright Futures Electric, Cool Jamie with Cool Today, they stepped forward and they donated, uh, built the facility and donated it. So I, I assume that the uh, Sarasota County Schools is kind of trying to dovetail their their programming into what they're teaching them. So they're grabbing kids that are in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, showing them how to read a tape, possibly work on some air conditioning units from um, Cool Today, and just the mechanics of using wrenches and screwdrivers with my own kids. I tell them to go get me a Phillips head screwdriver. What is that? I mean, come on. So, um, let me YouTube it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so have you, have you had a chance to visit what they're doing at the boys and girls club yet? No, I haven't, but it reminds me of, um, junior achievement and their involvement. Yeah. I've been involved with that too. It's a great yeah. program. Well, they want to expand a little bit here and I will just, I will just add to what you're saying here. If, you know, if we can get our business community to say yes to coming to career days at the schools, say yes to having kids come and visit their facility. I know, not to mention a competitor, but there was a construction company competitor <laughs> that allowed kids to come. And these were middle school kids who got to experience that career. Palmetto so. High School approached me at the construction rodeo, and one of our jobs is going to be out at State Road 70 and Lorraine Road in the Manatee County area, and they're going to come. I'm going to have 50 kids. We're going to serve they're, them lunch, it. and they're going to do a tour. We're, but that's, that's, that's a, it. I guarantee you through the Gulf Coast Builders Exchange, Mary Doherty, who runs that, will do anything to collaborate with the school okay. system. We'll I, be I, asking. I promise you that. So. Yep. Thank you. Um, one, one parting question here, if, if you were, if you were running this whole show at the state level, I mean, we hear the state can kind of controls a lot of what we're able to do at the local level. And I don't, it's like the reverse of the way it should be. I mean, we should be asking or getting support, but ultimately we should control our destiny. And, and I see with our show, we ran last week with the state of addiction and heroin, it looks like the social funding to, to resolve that disease, which I think it is a chronic disease, it's going to happen at the local level through donors and through yeah. private business people that care about it. But what would you think needs to be looking forward with public education? What do you think we need to be focused on as a community to make sure we're staying ahead of the curve? I wish you were a politician. You might be someday. <laughs> because I wish, I'm not allowed. <laughs> I wish you would ask me that. You know, I wish politicians, our legislators, would actually come and ask us, what do you need? How are you doing this well? What are you struggling with? Where are the dumb ideas that have come out of <laughs> our if I legislature? send those politicians, our local delegation, to you, you will Oh, okay. well, it depends if they let me, you know, speak oh, yeah. the truth. No, I, I, will, I will hook that meeting up. All right. meetings. Okay, there you go. I promise go. you on that one. I, I, I just think what I see happening is it's like my wife, we talk about the textbooks and, and teaching to the testing and 
it just seems like there's a lobbying group that's so far above our level that's really not down where, where you and BJ are, mm-hmm. which is in the classroom. And mm-hmm. I know you came from the classroom, and that's why you're such a value to the position you're in right now. Um, but how do we keep that, you know? Yes. What else would you like to add? It's, it's... I am delighted to be here, and I thank you for asking such Absolutely. great questions. Yeah, it was thank fun. You, thank, thank you for thank joining you. us. And uh, we'll get into the next segment with uh, Teacher of the Year, BJ Ivy. Thank you. Business Spotlights with Jack and Jeff. We'll be right back after this short break here on Sarasota News Radio, 1320 and 1450 AM and 103.9 FM. Half Acre Construction is the area's oldest and most established private commercial construction company, locally owned and operated by Jack Cox. Half Acre Construction delivers commercial and industrial construction projects on time and within budget. Their integrity, expertise, and financial strengths as a green builder can also help your business reduce energy consumption and preserve natural resources. Learn more today at halfacreconstruction.com. That's halfacreconstruction.com. Suncoast Charities for Children provides support to over 8,000 local children, teens, and adults with special needs and their families. Private donations, along with fundraising events such as Thunder by the Bay and the Sarasota Powerboat Grand Prix, enable Suncoast Charities for Children to provide annual grants to the Suncoast Foundation. These annual grants support Sarasota County Special Olympics, The Haven, Children First, Loveland Village, and the Florida Center for Early Childhood. To learn more or to make a donation now, visit SuncoastCharitiesForChildren.org. Sarasota's 360 OPR is a full-service public relations firm. Founded in 2012, 36 OPR can help your business with public relations strategy, press writing, and social media management, as well as political and image consulting, sales training, messaging, and media coaching. Over 45 years of combined PR and communications expertise serve a diverse group of local and national clients. Learn more today on how 36 OPR can help your business. Visit 36OPR.com. That's 36OPR.com. The Boys and Girls Clubs of Sarasota County wants to thank our local business partners. Your support helps more than 5,000 kids across the community succeed in school, plan for their futures, and become productive workers and leaders. Our five Boys and Girls Club locations are open for all children aged 6 to 18 in Sarasota, Venice, and Northport. To learn how you can help local youth achieve their full potential at the Boys and Girls Club, visit bgcsarasota.com. That's bgcsarasota.com. Hi, this is Patrick Delmedico of Alpermort Insurance. Our agency has been providing individuals and businesses throughout Southwest Florida with world-class asset protection for more than 25 years. Whether your need is personal or business-related, our agency staff of trusted insurance advisors will tailor a program to fit your individual needs. If you live in it, work in it, build it, drive it, or simply love it, Alpermort Insurance protects it. Please call us today at 941-924-3808 or visit us at alpermort.com. We're back with more of Business Spotlights with Jack and Jeff, airing every Tuesday at noon here on Sarasota News Radio, 1320 and 1450 AM and 103.9 FM. Okay, welcome back to our second segment of Business Spotlights with Jack and Jeff. I'm pleased to uh, have a, a close friend of mine and somebody I've known for, for the last six years, a 2017 Sarasota County School District, Teacher of the Year, uh, B.J. Ivey of Riverview High School and head... Uh, a boys basketball coach. Uh, I, I refer to him as my big little brother. So anyway, uh, that's in full disclosure. So welcome, BJ. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. BJ, congratulations on your uh, Teacher of the Year. Uh, it's fantastic. What, what does it mean to you? It means a great deal, honestly, uh, and many different levels. You know, I'm a product of Sarasota County Schools, and, you know, I grew up in them. My mom was a teacher and a cheerleading coach. My dad had a stint where he was a, a basketball coach and a teacher as well. So I'm a product a product of this school system. Uh, and for me to be able to come back to the school system and teach and give back to kids, you know, I grew up seeing so many great teachers, whether it was at Golfgate Elementary or over at Sarasota Middle, you know, or at Riverview High School. I kind of saw great teaching and practice the whole time I was in education, so it was a no-brainer for me to come back um, to Riverview High School and teach, and I kind of feel like by winning this award is a, a, you know, a good sign for Riverview High School. You know, I know it's a a great thing to represent the district, but, you know, I grew up at Riverview High School, and I mean that in a very literal sense, 
you know, I was running around those hallways since I was five, six years old. And, you know, for uh, me to be able to win this award and represent for all the great teachers at Riverview uh, means a lot to me. You know, I always kind of tell people that, you know, I look around and I see, you know, the Chuck Evans and the Mockermans and, you know, the Swihearts and, you know, the Clearies of Riverview High School. And I think, man, these guys are just so great teachers. I'm trying not to be that guy that, you know, kind of lets everybody else down. So I strive to meet the expectations that teachers before me have set. So to see, uh, you know, to have the ability to win the award, I don't think it's really about me. I think it's really more about our school and the culture that we have. Um, On a very personal level, obviously, you want to make your mom proud. You know, so, uh, you know, being able to make my wife proud and my mom proud uh, and obviously my father as well, you know, that that means a great deal to me. What type of classes do you teach? Uh, I've taught a little bit of everything. Uh, I mean that I think I've taught 11 preps in 12 years. So I'm kind of like a utility teacher. You know, I've never really said no because I'm a team player. Uh, Currently, I'm teaching AP psychology, which I'm in my third year doing. And I also teach uh, U.S. history. Uh, but I've taught dropout prevention on uh, the performance-based diploma program. Um, I've also taught driver's ed. I've taught econ. I've taught government. Uh, pretty much the list goes on and on. That's great. Um, winning this award, I, I believe it gives you um, a voice at the table for the state education. I'm not sure if it, it, how much of a voice I will get there. I know I'll have a voice here in Sarasota County. Uh, I do know that I'll have an opportunity to uh, go to a, a roundtable meeting uh, that's going to be held over in Orlando to do some professional development. Uh, so I'm hoping to really gain more knowledge. You know, if I do have a voice, I definitely want to exercise it and just kind of bring to light how many great teachers there really are. You know, I think, you know, rarely do the does the public get to see that. Obviously, you guys have kids that have gone through the program, and I know that you guys can reference several teachers that had a big impact on your life, uh, your, your child's life, but at the same time, you know, if you're just an average guy in the community, uh, maybe that's not the first thing in your mind. But we have teachers every day that, you know, I'm the basketball coach. I leave a good night. I'm leaving 536 o'clock, you know, and I get it. That's a supplemental position. I'm choosing to do that after school hours. But when I see the math teacher pulling a cart across the courtyard as I'm walking across the courtyard to go get my car keys. And, you know, this lady's been here this whole time grading papers and she's taken a cartload home. You know, that's not talked about enough. Right. You know, and these teachers, yeah, you know, they work and they work and they work, but they go, you know, above and beyond. And this is not just a job to them. This is a passion. You so, know? so how do you keep balancing, you know, family, kids, teacher of the year, hoops? Man. I don't I don't know. Uh, you know, you just do it. <laughs> you know, you really do it. You really – I've tried to do a really good job of practice what I preach. Yeah, you know, I, I, I would honestly find it hard to believe if you're leaving there by 530. Wait, well, I can I can tell you in 2016 when uh, he took this team to to Lakeland and they went to the final game. Uh, I don't think he went home a couple nights because he was clipping film. Um, I, I think you should expand on. I the the reason I'm a little bit kind of passionate on this very question that Jack just poses. I think the academic and athletic success at schools they're directly correlated, and I, I really think we need good coaches. Because I've seen your role in the locker room with these kids, and you're you're a, you're somewhat sometimes their only male role model, and and I see guys like DJ Bryant, and I had dinner. He was home for a few weeks. He just came over to our house and had dinner, and he's at University of Texas Arlington. He's he's just you. Would, everybody should be like DJ Bryant or Mo Victor or Emerson Robin. Mean, there's there's kids that you're going through your program, and it's because of you that they're having success in life. And so, you know, how much more can we get you to balance teaching and coaching? Because I don't want to lose you as a coach and or guys like you. So, so how, I mean, you have to do something that allows you to balance both of those. Yeah, I married the right woman. <laughs> you know, um, you, know you, uh, you talk about, you know, family. That's one of our core values as a basketball program. And Kids these days are very, very intelligent. I think kids have always been intelligent. But if, if you're saying, hey, this is, you know, it's about family and, and family stands for forget about me, I love you, but you're constantly putting your own family uh, behind everything else, kids are going to see right through you and they're going to know you're a hypocrite. So you have to do things to incorporate your family. You know, so my son's around wor- workouts. He's around you know, uh, basketball practice. He's at the games. My wife's there with the Riverview stuff on. We're having cookouts at the house, you know, and everybody's coming around and they get to see me be a dad. And, 
and, and be a, a father and a, a husband. At the same time, you know, I have to set certain things, you know, like, okay, you know, we're going to have a, a standard where I'm going to be home all Sunday or, I'll, you know, uh, you have to make an effort to make sure you're putting your family first and, and doing that kind of stuff. But, you know, when you reference all those guys like DJ and Mo and Emerson, you know, I'd be remiss if we didn't, you know, say, hey, I'm very blessed to coach these guys and they have great families. You know, every single one of those kids have, you know, incredible parents that have done a great job raising them. And I was just very fortunate to be able to play a small role in those kids' lives. You know, I try to have a positive impact, but, you know, there's definitely uh, parents out there that are raising them up the right way. I had the benefit of having uh, my youngest daughter, Sabrina, uh, was a cheerleader, and that's actually how I uh, how I met you. Uh, but Sabrina had your class, I think her senior year, she had the AP Psych class, and bar none, it was her favorite class at Riverview High School. Um, talk about how you impart some of your coaching uh, aspects in the classroom. Really, I try to coach my classes, and I try to teach my teams. So when I'm supposed to be the coach, I'm trying to be the best teacher I can. And when I'm really supposed to be teaching, I'm trying to coach the best I can. And I know that sounds uh, backwards, but that's kind of uh, the method that's worked for me in the past. I think that, uh, you know, with a team, if I can get buy-in from a team, you know, and get these kids to be willing to do whatever I ask them to do, uh, we're going to have a great team. So I took that model and just applied it to the classroom. So how do I get each kid to buy into what I'm saying or my And I tell them straight up, this is my game plan. The first day, this is our game plan. This is where we want to be in May. And we work backwards, okay, this is you know how we're going to get there. And if you guys will buy in and listen, we're going to develop a relationship with each other. You know, um, We're going to get to know each other. We're going to have a lot of fun, but we're going to work really hard. There's going to be some times you're extremely uncomfortable, but you have to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You have to learn to grow. You, like Going back to what you said, you have to struggle, and you have to allow kids to struggle. You know, um, if you're always doing it for them, they're never going to get it. So that's kind of the approach I've had with the classroom. Um, and kids typically buy in, and I'm a little bit different. Maybe I'm the coach, and we'll try to bring a lot of enthusiasm and passion to the classroom. And I think they they feed off that and respond to that. And we kind of buy in, and we have a special bond. And kids do what I ask them to do, and I get really intelligent kids, so they do well in class. Pretty simple. I going on this AP site because I, I you know I, I knew when you took that assignment on and you didn't know anything about AP psych, but I'm, I'm, I want you to tell the audience what you, how quickly you got up to speed on how you were going to approach teaching that class. Cause it's, it's one of the best classes at Ruby. I, I've talked to several students at that campus and, and they just, there's so many good, valuable lessons. In fact, when I was a, at Venice, uh, you may remember Jerry Dunn was the psychology teacher at Venice high school. Um, and he taught there for many, many years. My favorite class ever was his psychology class. So talk about how you ramped up to teach an AP level class, let alone psychology. Well, it's kind of a funny story because the guy who was teaching AP psych was a football coach. Uh, and he just didn't show up for school. You know, the first week, we teachers come back a week before, and this guy didn't show up. <laughs> and everybody's kind of like, where's Coach Taylor? Where's Coach Taylor? And everybody's like, well, I don't know. You know, so the football coaches start calling the guy. Uh, we find out on Tuesday that he took a job in Ohio. So he's in Ohio, and he didn't bother to tell anybody. So Probably at Cincinnati Moeller High yeah, School. You know, <laughs> so all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's, uh, you know, hey, Coach Ivy, you know, and I'm there for workouts, and, you know, I'm still there, and they're meeting in, in together in the conference room. Hey, Coach, come here for a second. We don't really have anybody to teach AP Psych. What do you think? Well, if you don't have anybody, I'll do it, you know. Uh, and Miss Nook has been awesome. She sent me out to Salt Lake City to do uh, – uh, an AP uh, course training in psychology, and I just said, "Hey guys, what's the, what's the game plan?" And what, what, you know, tell teach me. And I had a great lady out there who uh, taught AP Psych for thirty years, and she gave me the blueprints, and I just came home and applied it. I think though that why is it such a great course? You referenced, you loved it. I mean, psychology applies to life, and the kids can very right away see how this impacts their daily life, and because of that, the buy in so easy to get. So it's really a lot of it's on the course. It has nothing to do with me. Great. Um, one of the things that I've heard recently is the success you've had with the Holiday Classic basketball tournament. And uh, I know that schools in Ohio have reached out to you. Uh, do you get invited to similar tournaments like that outside the area? Yeah, we have. Uh, actually, our basketball team this year took a trek to Alaska. Wow. Played in the Alaskan Airlines uh, Classic. We get invited every year to different places. 
I kind of felt like that was extremely unique. and you know, That's got to be great for the players. I mean, that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do that. Yeah, and I, yeah, that's why you couldn't say no. Right. You know, uh, a lot of people might have looked at us like, you're going where? But, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a great trip. But uh, we do get invited like that a lot. But you try to be selective about where you take your team, you know, uh, and you got to be able to afford where you're going to take your team. So your budget drives a lot of that. But we've been very blessed, though. There's a lot of good basketball here in the state that we haven't had to travel to. You know, we've been invited down to the uh, City of Palms tournament, which is arguably the best high school tournament in the country. Um, we've played in that uh, the last two, three years now. So, you know, a lot of times you don't have to travel too far. So do you get an opportunity to play IMG? We do not play IMG just for the – there's a lot of uh, political things there as far as uh, their ability uh, to recruit legally yeah. uh, and kind of take your players and if they were to choose to. And, you know, the, the teams that they're putting together – uh, you know, with IMG, they kind of have uh, an elite team, you know, that's going to travel around the country and play the best high school teams, in, you know, in the nation. And then they have more local teams that, uh, you know, I can get the same kind of competition playing Booker High School and things like that. And I would rather, you know, play another public school than, than play in an academy. So is IMG in a league or they, they're just a team that, a free agent team that just flies around the country, plays other schools? Yeah, they are uh, an independent school. They're not okay. in the FHSAA, no. Is that what Mount Vernon is too? Mount Verde. Mount Verde is yeah. in the same class. Uh, Chino Hills. There's several, several public schools that are at a, at that same level that recruit and and compete in that league with Mount Verde and 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 teams like IMG. What, finishing up on the the topic of your teaching career, uh, I'm just curious. You with this honor, uh, I know that you're going to be going to Notre Dame, and I, I wondered if you knew what that assignment was going to entail and, and what you were hoping to gain out of that trip to Notre Dame? Uh, at this point, I really don't know too much about it. Uh, they've informed me that it is a professional development weekend. Uh, so right now I'm just uh, excited to go up there and learn as much as I can and bring it back to you know not only our students but other teachers as well. Well, that's awesome. We're gonna we're gonna uh, finish up uh, the third segment. We're gonna we're gonna delve into the topic of uh, the Riverview Boys basketball program, but but also the the landscape of uh, AAU high level travel ball and and how it's affecting the uh, public school sports. We'll be back in a few minutes. Business spotlights with Jack and Jeff. We'll be right back after this short break here on Sarasota News Radio, thirteen twenty and fourteen fifty AM and one hundred three point nine FM. For your company's next commercial construction project, rely on the 30 years of experience at J.E. Charlotte Construction. The Venice-based and family-owned company builds distinctively, effectively, and sustainably from retail and healthcare to recreational. The full-service construction company is your partner at every stage through design to completion. With deep roots in the community, J.E. Charlotte Construction builds stronger communities, one commercial project at a time. Learn more at jecharlotte.com. If you own or manage a local business, the Pathways Program at First Step of Florida knows what you and your employees may be going through. Alcohol and drug addiction destroys families, hurts communities, and can affect your business. If you, an employee or colleague, needs help and hope, learn how the Pathways Program at First Step can put you and your business on the right path to safety and sobriety. Learn more today at PathwaysFL.org. That's PathwaysFL.org. For the lives of your employees and the life of your business. Addiction recovery starts with Pathways of Florida. If you're in the contracting business, Gulf Coast Builders Exchange has been your voice in Manatee, Sarasota, and Charlotte counties since 1952. Join more than 400 leading general contractors to grow and build your business with networking and educational opportunities. Their mission is members doing business with members, featuring the Proud to Build campaign to highlight the good work of the local commercial contracting industry. Learn more about Gulf Coast Builders Exchange at gcbx.org today. Children First is a private charitable nonprofit organization serving Sarasota's most vulnerable children and families six weeks to five years of age. We provide early care and education, family strengthening services, and provide the opportunity for our families to achieve their dreams. A great big shout out to the individuals and businesses of the Suncoast for your support. If you'd like to visit us, please go to childrenfirst.net, childrenfirst.net as in safety net, and a great big thanks to Jack and Jeff for their support. 
If you own a business, keep your facilities protected from the top down with Sutter Roofing, specializing in commercial roofing for 115 years. Sutter Roofing is a family-owned business. They're your full-service, low-slope roofing experts, from new construction to re-roofing and repairs. Sutter Roofing serves Sarasota, Fort Myers, Tampa, Orlando, and West Palm Beach. Safe, solid, and secure since 1902. Contact them today for your free commercial roof inspection. Learn more at Sutter roofing.com we're back with more of business spotlights with jack and jeff airing every tuesday at noon here on sarasota news radio 1320 and 1450 a.m and 103.9 fm okay welcome back our last segment uh, we're going to focus on high school sports and and with us this week is head basketball coach riverview high school uh, bj ivy and uh, i wanted to to, to just Talk about uh, your program. Uh, I've been a part of the program for the past six years as your booster club club president. So, um, as I tell everybody, I, I don't know of a better program in the area in terms of what you're doing uh, inside the locker room with the kids and how you're mentoring them and your the success you're enjoying on the court. Just uh, has been great the last couple of years. So I wanted to kind of get an update from you with the upcoming season. We had AJ Caldwell in last week, and he's going off to. University of South Alabama great and uh, great kid, great interview. Uh, got to visit with DJ Bryant, uh, who's at UT Arlington. Uh, talk a little bit about your program, past and present. Uh, well, you know, been very, very fortunate to coach a lot of great players. You know, you guys referenced two guys uh, right there. They're Division One athletes, uh, going to continue their education and, and continue their athletics. Uh, you also have uh, Nick Havener, who uh, I was very, very proud of. Just graduated. Uh, with his degree in communications from Boston University, and he did so in three years. So he's going to go ahead and use his fourth years of eligibility to uh, start to work on his master's degree, which is, for me as a coach, is so rewarding because that's a conversation we had when he was a 10th grader. Yep. You know, like, look, if you do take these AP courses and you get these credits, you're going to walk in ahead. You stay, you get your summer school, you're going to graduate in three, get a master's. You know, they're going to pay for it. You might as well you know, capitalize on as much as you can. Uh, so he's at Boston University. Obviously, you have uh, Breon uh, Whitley, who's uh, going to Murray State next year. Uh, we got a lot of young guys coming in who are going to have those same kind of opportunities, but they're going to have to put in the same amount of work and do things the right way and make a ton of right decisions uh, throughout the course of their time. But uh, the future is bright. The future is bright, and I know watching your team last year, there was a, there was a freshman that came on the scene that uh, I don't know if this community – fully understands uh, how how really, truly talented this kid is, but his name is Malachi Weidman. And it's a funny story at your Teacher of the Year uh, awards luncheon at uh, Michael's on East. Uh, I got to meet the principal at McIntosh Elementary School who put her arm around me and said, you can thank me for Malachi going to Riverview. <laughs> but uh, he's, he's quite a kid. Um, if anybody came to our games last year, and BJ, you can elaborate on the kid's athletic talent, but he is freaky talented. Absolutely. I'll give you an idea. I know we're going to segue into this in a little bit, but I also coach Nike Team Florida. And we were playing in a Nike event, and there's 16 and 17 uh, and under teams playing, as well as 15. So you're held in this big, massive uh, facility that has 17 courts. And John Stovall, who's one of the top Nike guys, comes over to me after the game, and he said, you know, Malachi Wyman is the best athlete in the gym, and he's 15 years old. And he's, you know, and you're talking about the best athletes uh, in the country are all in one area. And, you know, the head Nike guy saying that guy right there is the best athlete. He made a couple plays that were just unbelievable. And, you know, uh, the sky's the limit for him. You know, he could be uh, as good as he wants to be in either sport. He plays football as well. And he he could be an NFL wide receiver or he could be an NBA shooting guard. And I want you to just kind of talk about some of the challenges that that are going to be put in front of Malachi and the, and, and what he needs to focus on. Just as as because because we've talked about this, one of his biggest things to remain a high D one athlete is you got to have you got to have the grades that go with that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I would say the biggest thing, and you know, the kids know who I refer to. There's a, a rapper they all like named Kodak Black who has a song called Tunnel Vision. So I try to stay current with that kind of stuff and then relate it back to, you know, their level so they understand. And, you know, the talks that I've had with Malachi is he's got to have tunnel vision. You know, there's there going to be a million distractors. There's going to be a million hanger on. There's going to be people who are going to come and try to get a piece and try to hang out and just want to just to be a part of what he's doing. And he really, really has to narrow his focus and, 
It has to be all about, uh, you know, the classroom and then the workouts. You know, he has to embrace the grind, you know, both in the classroom and on the athletic fields. And if he can do that and really, really stay focused and walk that fine path, um, he could be one of the greatest athletes that's ever come out of Sarasota Manatee County. I wanted to, I wanted to talk a little bit. I had a really good conversation with a common friend of ours, Clyde Metcalf. And as everybody knows, the Sailors are they're in the state final four. Uh, actually, they're 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 playing Friday night. Uh, I, Clyde's comment to me was, and he said he talks to you quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. He he talks about the buy-in. Uh, you know, these are 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kids that you guys interact with, and it's not always that you get a buy-in. And I know that the 2016 team that you had at Riverview that went to the state final game and in, in, in class 8A, I think it was at the time. I don't know. Was it 9A? I can't remember now, but it was the top class. That that cl- that team had a buy-in. And it, it happened in the midpoint of the season where we actually had a loss at Alonzo High School. And and they just kind of galvanized after that. And they, they just kind of... They were they were their their own they were they were accountable to themselves and it's like how do you get this buy-in? It's such a hard hard commodity. With I think it was hard even in our generation when we played. You know, everybody wants to blame it on the millennial stuff. I think it was hard back in our day too. So how do you? What's what's some of the things that you guys try to do to to get this buy-in, or is it just something that happens sporadically? Well, there's a lot that you try to do. You know, obviously you try to build a culture. You know, and I think that that culture, if it's based on results and relationships, you know, the results have to be there because the kids have to know it's fair. But the relationship has to be there as well. You know, it sounds corny. It sounds cliche, but I really find it to be very, very true is it's about a relationship in the sense that that kid's not going to listen to you unless he knows without a doubt that you love him and that you are going to do what's best for him because you have a relationship there. You know, and once they can trust you, then they'll buy in. You know, it's hard to get, uh, especially young men, to trust. You know, I was a girls coach for three years, and I found that it was a lot easier to get that buy-in from young female athletes. And once you had it with a young female, it was, you know, she'd run through a wall for you. You know, Uh, with guys, there's more AAU programs, you know, so there's more people in their ear. You know, uh, AAU, when I was around, you had to be the best. I, I played Division II basketball, and I didn't make an AAU team. You know, I didn't play AAU basketball. Now uh, you have kids who don't make a high school team who start on AAU programs because there's so many. So when you have this many AAU coaches getting in these kids' ear and telling them how great they are, and then, you know, you try to build a relationship with them as a high school coach and you try to be honest with them, you know, really tell them where they are and what they need to do, and all of a sudden maybe that doesn't – it makes it harder for them to trust you. Because, you know, like kids are, they're going to want to – you know, they want to hear what they want to hear. You know, and if somebody's telling them what they want to hear, they're probably going to galvanize towards that. Well, it's a nice segue into a question that I've been dealing with here. You you coach a high-level public high school basketball program, and you're also coaching Nike Team Florida in the off season. And I'm just curious what you think the long-term effects of AAU and high-level travel ball are doing to the public high school programs. Well, it's funny. You go to these Nike programs, and uh, you you know Nike. You have to play in four events, uh, so you go around and you're on a circuit, and everybody goes to the same stops. You know, you're uh, this year we were in Hampton, Virginia. We were in Atlanta, Georgia, Indianapolis, and then Las Vegas. And it's funny. You see Oak Hill there. You see IMG there. You see you know these schools that have the ability to recruit on a national level, and they're just going in and they're plucking out the best players from the local high school, and they're trying to put them on, you know, these uh, basically all-star teams. Uh, In some situations, it's right. Some situations, it's needed, you know, know, depending on a young man's home life, depending on, you know, how uh, good the high school coach is. And, you know, there's a lot of coaches out there who just do it for the check, and they show up in, you know, uh, November, and when the season's done, they're done, and the kid can't get in the gym, the kid can't work, nobody's there trying to develop him. So maybe there are situations where it's good for a kid to go to Oak Hill and things like that. Uh, but it's definitely, you know, diluting the talent at a high school level. And I think that if you just look around at public high school, there's no size. You know, well, if you look at any prep school, there's all the size. You know, so if you're big, you know, you're seven foot, you know, six ten, six eleven, 
you're gonna you're gonna end up at an IMG. You're gonna end up at an Oak Hill. You're gonna end up at a Mount Verde. Um, it's just not happening a whole lot at the at the high school level. I think Tony Bradley from Bartow was one of the last bigs that I actually saw come out of a public school. So I think it's diluting it a little bit, but at the same time, you know, sometimes it's the right situation. And 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 what I also worry about is the coaches with the programs losing the talent and the high level and size. I mean, the the coaching opportunities, coaching if if it's the if if you're coaching, you're not coaching to get to the state championship. I know you well enough. You're coaching to make an impact on these student athletes, and and that's ultimately you're doing it because that's just who you are. But I do worry because I really strongly believe that there's a direct correlation between the athletic success at a high school campus and the academic success, and they go hand in glove. And my concern is with with basketball in particular, and especially in the state of Florida, is we're exporting so much talent to these academies that the public schools are they're just being rendered kind of, you know, as second rate. And I, I worry about the long term aspect of that I don't see it in football because football requires so many players. Um, it's just really I haven't seen it as bad in the football arena, but uh, I was just curious if there's anything we could do. Well, it's it's there's a lot there to everything that you just said. I think it's starting to happen a little bit at IMG. You're starting to see IMG pull kids from around the country. Uh, so that is taking place. Um, ironically, last night I was at Dr. Gallagher's, uh, who's a, I, the head of our IB department, and I've known him for a long time. He's a great guy. I was at his retirement party, and a lot of former students came back, and I ran into a girl named Morgan Johnson who I had an AP psych, and she went off to the University of North Carolina, and they won the national championship. And she talked about how, it's so cool that she was there for the national championship and that's something she's going to remember forever and so on and so forth. So I think athletics, you know, you know plays a big part in the school's culture and uh, how kids buy into their school and what, you know, how involved they are and things like that. But, you know, I don't know how much we really can do as far as, you know, fighting that system. I think that system's in place and it will just continue to proceed. Well, I know one forward. of the things you're doing at the, at your father runs the, uh, the, this, when we get the, uh, the Suncoast, uh, youth basketball league and what what I think is just building more interest in the sport and getting younger kids to develop the skill set. I know in Ohio where Jack and I came from, you grow up with a basketball in your hand. In Indiana, you grow up with a basketball in your hand. So maybe that's one way we get just more volume of people playing the game and 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 help that. I just feel like the public high schools we really need to pay attention to that because if we lose Let's just drill down to the middle school level, Jack. I mean, we were talking about this last night. I mean, we've got four sports at the middle schools. When you and I were going through what was called junior high back in my day, there were six or seven sports. And- I'm worried about my own son being able to play high school sports because the, the schools that we have, I mean, you can only have 15 people on a basketball team or, or 15 people on a baseball team. And that competition level is so tough that I'm concerned that after eighth grade, he's not going to play. I mean, I had the opportunity to play uh, football and wrestling and lacrosse in college, I mean, in high school. And, um, um, I mean, that kept me on the straight and narrow. So I'm a little concerned about kids that. Well, we've gotten rid of freshman sports almost well, altogether at the high school level. And that, you know, again, I, I it's a whole nother segment. I'm, I'm a little passionate about high school sports. So we'll, we'll get, we'll get another show dedicated to that. But before we leave the, your, your, your segment here, BJ, what I wanted to do is talk a little bit about the, uh, the Christmas tournament that you've done every year. It's the 26th year of the Suncoast Holiday Classic, and I'm really excited this year. Each year you get an out-of-state team. Uh, this year uh, we're going to have a couple out-of-state teams, and I'd like you to talk talk about the two teams that are coming in. You know, it's uh, it's awesome. You know, we've gotten a lot of interest in our tournament. Obviously, I think, you know, our community, you know, and everything that it offers with Siesta Key and you know how nice it is here, people naturally want to come. So, we've, you know, a lot of people have been reaching out. You know, we're going with uh, two teams. I know you guys, Elder is uh, the big one. Uh, you know, I'm trying to learn more about them. You know, I know they have uh, 10 guys coming back, and, you know, they were pretty good last year. They were 12-12, and but it was a very competitive league. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see them come down. You know, usually what I try to do with that is check in with, uh, you know, those guys in October and kind of feel them out as far as, you know, what does their team look like. You know, obviously we had the team Wagner last year. You know, and they were all set. They had a Division One player, guys getting recruited by Kentucky, and he come down and, you know, the kid couldn't play due to, a, you know, a ruling in the state of Kentucky about, you know, 
going back to the whole thing, he was out at uh, Finley Prep in Vegas right. and then decided to come back home. The state of Kentucky said, it, well, he couldn't play because he's a transfer, and if you're a transfer student, you have to sit out a year. Well, the kid left a, a situation in Las Vegas he didn't want to be in and then came back, and now the state of Kentucky said he couldn't play, and it was a big deal in Kentucky. So, um, you know, we're excited to have, you know, these teams down, and I think it should be a great event. You know, Coach Ward started that, and, you know, I made reference to the fact of how I grew up at Riverview, and I literally – Came to these tournaments growing up and wanted to play in the tournament, and now I'm running it. So it's kind of wild. Well, it's been a pleasure. Uh, obviously, you and I are close friends. It's been a pleasure being around your program. I, I'm so glad you got Teacher of the Year because it shines a bright light on somebody that's doing great stuff, mentoring 15, 16, 17-year-old males. And, you know, the the lessons that I see you – Imparting on them is is valuable, and I just appreciate you coming in. Thank yeah, you. No, very thank much. you guys for having me. I appreciate it. So tune in next week. We're going to have Sheriff Tom Knight, Sarasota County, and Sheriff Ricky Wells from Manatee County, and we're going to talk about immigration, a little bit more on the opiate epidemic, and guns. Thanks for tuning in to Business Spotlights with Jack and Jeff every Tuesday at noon here on Sarasota News Radio thirteen twenty and fourteen fifty a.m and 103.9 FM. To listen to this edition of Business Spotlights again anytime, just visit sarasotanewsradio.com and look for the on-demand menu for our podcast archive. If you have an idea, comment, or suggestion about this edition of the show or for future episodes, please visit the Business Spotlights with Jack and Jeff page on Facebook. Until next week, thanks again for listening.